0: I look at every villain in the history of film almost to prepare for this. I said, why not? Just have a sneak peek at at all the greats. I mean, look at Javier, what he did in this franchise. That guy knows how to be chilling.
1: Barbara and Michael and Sam Mendes called me into their office and were like, we just want to tell you, you're not actually auditioning for a Bond woman. You're going to be Moneypenny. But it's Moneypenny with a difference. She's out in the field and she's really tough and she goes toe-to-toe
2: with Bond. The way she's written is very different from uh, from Spectre. It was more cold. There was more distance. She was kind of a mystery. And I think in this one she she will be more open and and vulnerable.
3: Welcome to No Time to Die, the official James Bond podcast. I'm your host James King. And in this series, I'll tell you everything you need to know about the 25th film in the illustrious, almost 60-year-old franchise. Will give you unrivaled access to what goes on behind the scenes in No Time to Die, speaking to everyone you've ever wanted to hear from. From director Carrie Joji Fukunaga, producers Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, and costume designer Suterat Lalab. Plus, Rami Malik, Naomi Harris, Jeffrey Wright, Leia Sidhu, and Bond himself, Daniel Craig. In this episode, the allies and the villains. I sit down with some of the main cast from No Time To Die to discuss their characters and look back at some of Bond's iconic enemies, Le Chiffre, Silva and Blofeld. Plus, we'll meet James Bond's allies, Felix Leiter, Moneypenny, Q and Madeleine Swan. In No Time To Die, we're introduced to a new nemesis, Safin, played by Rami Malek.
0: James Bond... Licence to kill. History of violence. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. Mine will survive long after I'm gone. History isn't kind
3: to men who play God. Rami Malik, thanks for joining us. First of all, it's the big question. How do you prepare to play a Bond villain?
0: I'll tell you this, I mean, Carrie and I, uh, Fukunaga, our our director, who's remarkable, we talked about it uh, at length for about a year before we started shooting, what would be incredibly chilling and truly frightening and scary and plausible. So I will say all of those elements came into uh, putting this man together, uh, something that I, I thought we collectively thought if you were sitting in that chair as an audience member, uh, you would be shaken. No pun intended.
3: And I, I nearly said something, but I held back. Okay. Do, do you, um, do you look back to previous Bond villains as well? Is there any, any are there any echoes? Would you say?
0: Perhaps I've heard some rumors online. We'll leave <laughs> those at the, uh, uh, where they, where they lie. How about that? You see those online rumors, they're starting already. They're everywhere. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I mean, you want to take a Look, I look at, at every villain in the history of film almost to prepare for this. I said, why not? Just have a sneak peek at, at uh, all the greats. And uh, I mean, look at Javier, what he did in this franchise and what he did in No Country for Old Men. I mean, that guy knows how to be chilling. He's, he's one of the absolute greats. And so uh, may have stolen a thing or two from him.
3: So you mentioned talking for a long time with Carrie. Tell me about working with him as a director and how he helps you as an actor.
0: Well, one thing about Kerry, you can say he's incredibly intelligent and uh, he didn't have to bring me into the fold early on and, and talk story or character before I saw the script. Um, I think he you know, went out of his way to do so. Not everybody would do that. Um, so I, it was nice for him to uh, respect me my opinion my thoughts and look at this as a collaboration uh, we had a phenomenal uh, costume designer in sutra uh, and at the same time we all could would sit down and talk about what we wanted this character to look like uh in every aspect of the film it wasn't just you know something he came up with and uh and, um, you know, threw at me. It was very, just very inclusive. And I think he's that way with, uh, every actor, every crew member. Um, yeah, he, he, he assembled a, uh, a collection of some of the finest artists, uh, you could put together. And I'm not just talking about actors. Our set designs were, um, Uh, I think the most intricate, intricate and massive I've ever seen. Uh, The costumes are uh, again, remarkable. Mine, especially I fell in love with. Um, So it's everything you want from a a Bond film scale and, and someone at the helm who knows what they're doing. And, and I think it's a big risk to bring in someone who uh, is not from the UK, but, I really think he proved himself in this installment. And, and I think you guys will all get a chance to see that soon.
3: And, and Kerry's got a good track record for that, hasn't he? I mean, the the things that he's worked on before, he has an amazing um, style and aesthetic.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's a r- remarkable uh, stylistically. He's also uh, incredibly gifted at creating tension. And I'll tell you from, you know, from, the bits I've seen and the moments I've got to be a part of, this film is tense. And we talk about being on the edge of your seat. I know you'll be on the edge of your seat for this film. Uh, Not only because it's Bond, but because Carrie said, let's take it to a different level. Um,
3: We'll finish then
0: talking about tension with you getting the call or a series of calls from Eon for the role. I'll tell you what is extraordinary about this experience is uh, I did a film, I don't know, 10 years ago, and it's, it was called Short Term 12. Great film. Yeah, thank you very much. And Barbara had seen it, and uh, she asked to have a meeting with me. And so we sat down at, in Los Angeles. I could not believe I was sitting down with the legend Barbara Broccoli. And, you know, we kept up uh, ever since. You know, she said, well, let's find something to work on. And, you know, had that in the back of my mind for years. Then I did this series called Mr. Robot and we sat down again. She said, oh, I'm, uh, you know, she was taken aback by that and impressed by that and never thought it would quite lead to this. But then my name popped up in the conversation. And, uh, yeah, boy, am I fortunate and blessed to uh, have known her, have... Uh, have affected her in that way and now she's affected me and my life in a massive way as well so, so, thank, so thank you babs
3: <laughs> oh, i wish i could call that babs
0: um, i don't know that i can either
3: <laughs> let's look back on some of those iconic bond villains le chief from casino royale
4: you know i never understood all these elaborate tortures it's the simplest thing to cause more pain than a man can possibly endure. And of course, it's, it's not only the immediate agony, but the knowledge that if you do not yield soon enough, there will be little left to identify you as a man. Will you yield in time? I want the money.
3: Silver from Skyfall. And one by one,
1: they start eating each other until there are only two left. The two survivors. And then what? Do you kill them? No. You take them and release them into the trees. But now they don't eat coconut anymore. Now they only eat rat. You have changed their nature. The two survivors this is what she made us.
3: Ernst Stavro Blofeld from Spectre.
0: Vespa Lynn, for example.
5: She was the big one. Has he told you about her? And then of course your beloved M. Gone forever.
0: Me. It's all me, James. It's always been me, the author of all your pain.
3: How do you begin to construct a character with as much expectation on their shoulders as a Bond villain? I asked screenwriters Neil Purvis and Robert Wade.
6: There's a dimension to what Ian Fleming wrote. He, I think, he put more work into his villains than into Bond. You know, the name was meant to be the dullest name you could possibly. But the blunt instrument is yeah. famously what he called them, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. But in when it comes to the baddies, he really put a lot of his imagination into that. Um, he, he seemed to choose them from um, boys he'd been at school with and their, their surnames.
3: Some of the most decorated actors in the world have played Bond villains. And I suppose it's no surprise the best are complex and deep, tortured and driven. So how would you find the perfect actor for the part? I asked Bond's casting team, director Debbie McWilliams, whose association with 007 goes back to For Your Eyes Only, and her niece Jemima McWilliams on how they came to cast Rami Malek. We'd had long discussions
7: about who we should approach and he was one of the people we were interested in contacting to discuss. And I was invited to a screening of Bohemian Rhapsody and I went to it and afterwards various people were invited for a drink and I was one of them and he was there. I went up to him and said who I was within A nanosecond, he was on the phone to the agent and he was in this building the next day.
3: (laughs) Obviously, Bond villains throughout the franchise's history are iconic. Why do you think he fits in so well uh, um, and, and is a good villain for No Time to Die? They
7: were very keen to cast somebody a bit younger, a bit out of the ordinary, It can always kind of be anybody and uh, but also he was kind of hot um, and you know lucky for us we got him just before he got the Oscar
3: Um, So actually it's a mix of of classic Bond villain but also bringing something new to the table as well and being a bit different to the others
8: He's obviously such a kind of charismatic interesting man that You know, obviously so much of being a Bond villain is having that incredible charisma. Um, And I think there wasn't any doubt, certainly in Carey's mind, that he was going to bring a really amazing energy to the part. And when you see the film and you see kind of... I don't think anybody could have predicted the performance that he's given. And it's so different, obviously, to anything that we'd seen him do before. So... Yeah, he's a really exciting choice.
3: Um, Some of the other ones of recent years, again, how involved have you been with them? For example, um, Raul Silva, which is uh, Javier, Mm. and Le which is Mads Mikkelsen. With
7: Mads Mikkelsen, we were all by this time out in Prague. I had seen him play such different parts. I got wind of the fact that he was shooting something in Prague. I mean, he wasn't known at all, really, beyond the kind of very art house European film circuit. Barbara had the great idea of, instead of him just coming in to meet Martin, to actually get him in character. So we took him off to costume and we took him off to hair and makeup and he literally walked on set looking how you see him in the famous casino scene. And Martin just went, oh, hi, Um, and kind of took it as read that he was the actor who we'd cast and he was fantastic.
3: And Javier, um, like Rami, is another Oscar winner. Mm. That that was a big coup to get him, wasn't it? It was.
7: It was. As I say, we always consider lots of other actors, but somehow or another, you know, we'd met other people, but it just kind of eventually it comes down to the fact that there is one person who is an obvious choice, and he was, and he was fantastic as well.
3: In this film, we also see the return of Madeleine Swan, Money Penny, Bill Tanner, Q, and one of Bond's oldest allies, Felix Leiter. Greg Wilson, the associate producer on No Time to Die, is also the grandson of Bond's original producer, Cubby Broccoli. And he told us why this film was primed for the return of so many of Bond's key allies.
9: We've been really blessed with the structure of, I guess, you know, when when Daniel Craig kind of reinvented the character in Casino Royale. And we were stripping things back and going to a time before Q, before Money, Penny. You know, it just it just gave us the opportunity to kind of reintroduce those characters in a new way. And uh, and I think that's been very satisfying for audiences to sort of see how we've interpreted those roles. Bond's colleagues at MI6 are very much his his family, and I think for this film it starts out with Bond in retirement, but he still has a connection to, and we still wanted him to sort of be back around that family of his, because in a way, you know, they they sort of represent a lot of kind of what he's fighting for in many ways. So I think it was you know important to us to sort of have all of those characters back together again. And also Felix Leiter, too. Um, You know, we felt that he was an important part of Bond's family as well. I
10: need a favor, brother. You're the only one I trust for this.
3: I caught up with Jeffrey Wright and asked him what it was like bringing back Felix Leiter in 2006 for Casino Royale.
10: Well, I, I, I got a call from my agent saying that uh, he'd spoken with, with with Barbara, with Barbara Broccoli, and you know they were wondering if I wanted to be a part of uh, of the next. Film in the franchise, and you know, he said, you know, yeah, I'll send you the script. You know, there's a CIA, some CIA guy or something like that is how he described it. And I thought to myself, I wouldn't, what are you want, some CIA? You mean Felix Leiter? I was like, oh, dude, yeah, send that script over, bro. (laughs) Because for me, I I guess you know, I've, I've said it before, but Jack Lord was like just one of the coolest cats on the planet. And uh, I just, you know, I loved what he brought to that role and, and to, you know, be asked to follow, uh, follow in his, uh, in his uh, wake was, uh, was, uh, was really exciting. So read the script, dug it, jumped on board, did it again, took, took a couple off and circled back now.
3: And how have you developed the character of, of Felix since Jack Lord's performance?
10: Well, I think what what I've tried to do from the start and, you know, what I perceived Daniel to want to do is to kind of ground these films and these performances in in a new type of authenticity and 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 grittiness to kind of show these men as ones who who function well you know, un- at the uh, you know under the belly of the beast. You know, these guys are foot soldiers, and they're you know they're grinders, and they're they're you know they're men who who have put work in. And I just wanted to show you know that level of realness, for lack of a better word, uh, in the character, and show show kind of a um, and almost not to deglamorize the performance, but to show a more working class. Uh, foot soldier, you know, who's grinding it out yeah, on behalf of the government and the people that he works for. So uh, I got that sense from Daniel, too, is that, you know, Daniel's bond... Uh, has a glamorous side. Obviously, we you know you have to have that. You can't be Bond without that. And he has that. You know that that uh, he can put on that veneer of sophistication. But at the same time, he really has uh, elements of kind of an S.A.S. Uh, uh, man. Uh, you know, you know, a, a real. Uh, gritty street fighter, and uh, but highly skilled, and so I wanted, you know, I wanted Felix to be complimentary to that.
3: What about Daniel Craig's experience of working with his CIA ally? How is it reteaming with Jeffrey after several years away? It's, I mean, look, I mean, I, I I'm
11: a massive Jeffrey Wright fan, so that's kind of easy for me to do. But it's kind of emotional, kind of thing to do because he's he's been part of my tenure for, um, you know, he's been there since the beginning and he came in and played Felix Leiter and turned it into something. And we kind of have a shorthand now. We kind of, we don't, we don't do it. We, we just, we have fun on set. So,
3: and that, that's always fascinated me about, um, about acting is how you, whether there's any way you can create that kind of shorthand or chemistry or if it just, it's either there or it's not. I think the latter, I don't think, I don't think you can, it's either there or it's not really, um,
11: I mean, it's like trying to have a good time. <laughs> you're either having a good time or you're not having a good time. And I think, you know, I, I, it's it's born of a respect. It's born of a, um, uh, uh, his, he's a professional. It's like he gets the job done. It's all of those things. So I, I, I can relax in his company.
3: Ben Whishaw took over the role of Q from John Cleese, beginning in 2012's Skyfall. And he's back for a third outing in No Time To Die.
6: What I enjoy about the dynamic between Q and Bond is that they're sort of polar opposites. (laughs) But I feel there's this kind of uh, mutual respect, curiosity about the other, you know, uh, because they're so uh, different. I, I suppose to put it sort of crudely, they're kind of brains and brawn, although it's not quite that clear cut, but, and it's sort of playful and, you know, Bond tests, cues, patients frequently, but there's affection and um, concern, you know, genuine concern there. I mean, I I think the film begins with all of us at MI6 not really expecting uh, Bond to appear at all. So everything unfolds is very unexpected for all of us.
12: Why would
6: I betray you? We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet.
3: No Time to Die sees the return of Madeline Swan following her debut in Spectre. I asked actor Lea Sidhu how she thinks Madeline has changed in this film.
2: I think that this time we'll, um, we'll have the, the chance to see what she's been through in her life in her childhood and so we start with uh this right the 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 opening of the film in no time to die is her as a as a young girl and we understand her her roots what she's been through so i think that for me it felt like a a totally different film when i was uh, on set and even the character the way she's written is very different from uh, from specter specter it was more cold there was more distance it was like I felt that you couldn't really relate to her in a way. She was kind of a mystery. And I think in this one, she'll be more open and, and vulnerable because she's in love.
3: No Time to Die also sees Money Penny return, played for the third time by Naomi Harris. And her characters had a real story arc over that trio of films. Here is Naomi Harris.
1: Eve is uh, an incredible woman, actually, but she's evolved so much from when you first meet her in Skyfall to now, No Time to Die. She's a very different character, actually. I think when you first see her in Skyfall, she's like this feisty, um, takes no prisoners, um, thinks that she can go toe-to-toe with Bond kind of character um, and infatuated with him as well. And I think by the time you see her in No Time to Die, she's really matured a lot. Um, She's obviously made the decision to give up field work and to work within MI6, but to stay behind a desk and support in that way. Um, And she still has this deep love for um, Bond, but I don't think it's a romantic love anymore. I think it's a deep respect and they have this incredible friendship and she's not so feisty. I mean, she's always going to be a strong, tough woman. You've got to be to work in MI6, Um, but she's not as feisty as she was in in Skyfall, that's for sure.
3: Was it explained to you that there's going to be this kind of arc of her character and she would be changing over future films?
1: No, I had no no idea. When I auditioned for Skyfall, I mean, I have to say everything has been a complete surprise because I was told initially that I was auditioning for the role of a Bond woman. Um, So I had no idea that I was playing Moneypenny. So it's literally Um,
3: just that that kind of general you are auditioning for Bond woman.
1: Yes, yeah. And um, I actually got sent a scene from um, Casino Royale where I played Vesper Lynn's role. Um, and so it was the train scene. And so I had to do that. So I, I was just really confused at the time because I was kind of like, I think I'm a bit old to play a Bond woman. Now we know that's not true and any age can play a Bond woman. But at the time I was kind of like, I think I'm a bit old and I just don't feel like I have the assets for a Bond woman. I just don't feel that's really me. So I was very confused by it all. And that, but they kept calling me back for recall. So I got to the, my third recall and I was like, this really isn't making any sense to me. Um, and then Barbara and Michael and Sam Mendes called me into their office and were like, we just want to tell you, you're not actually auditioning for a Bond woman, you're going to be Moneypenny but it's Moneypenny with a difference, she's out in the field, you know, she's uh, this field agent and she's really tough and she goes toe to toe with Bond and I was like, oh my god, that makes so much sense, but at the time they didn't say that she was going to evolve I I don't think anybody knew, you know, that I was going to last this many movies I certainly didn't, I'm over the moon that I have, but I had no idea at the time
3: so let's go back to Eve Moneypenny's character arc then her Mm -hmm. progression as a character Um, how involved are you in deciding the kind of person she is and the kind of person she becomes
1: well to be honest in Skyfall I wasn't involved at all really Um, so I got the script and I I was over the moon um, with the script I I just thought oh my god I and write it better if I'd written it myself, you know? It was was brilliant. It was like everything that I would want a character to be. Um, It was so much fun. Uh, So that was... um that kind of experience in Skyfall and then in No Time to Die it was very different because I, I met with uh, Carrie Fukunaga our director and he said you know what do you want of the, from the character because we've seen her go in this direction she could go in this direction um, we could do something totally different with her what, what are your ideas and I, I was so kind of stumped because I was like I've never really had anybody say to me like carte blanche you can do whatever you want with your character um, so that was really liberating and, but it's very unusual to have that
3: so, uh, obviously, it's going to be teasers rather than actual hard facts. But what kind of thing can we expect then from Eve in No Time to Die? How has she changed?
1: I think, you know, you'll see her as a much more mature character, as I said before. And also, I feel as though she's the kind of moral compass of the of the film. Um, and uh, she really calls out her superiors and is willing to... Um, put her job on the line in order to speak up for what is right um when she thinks that in things in mi6 aren't going as they should that's the most i can say james
3: (laughs) (laughs) um i am suitably intrigued Bond screenwriting alumni Neil Purvis and Robert Wade say they go back to Fleming when writing the female characters. I asked a newest writing recruit, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, about what we can expect from the Bond women in No Time to Die.
12: I think there's pressure on, on Bond girls, a different pressure now, because they have to deliver everything that we loved about Bond girls before, but they also have to have this, you know, integrity. And I think there's a sort of cynicism around that. And I think these guys have really nailed it because they look absolutely gorgeous. They are brilliant at the action. They deliver their line with like as much class and and smarts and speed as all the other you know characters. And I think I think people are going to really enjoy them.
3: And the secret to casting a Bond woman. Debbie McWilliams told me about choosing Leia Sidhu.
7: Like lots of actresses, you know, we must have... I can't remember how many we were... A lot. And um, she came in, and as I'm sure Naomi has explained as well, we we give people a scene from an old film, so they never get to see what the character is that they're actually going to be playing. And um, she absolutely nailed it, and that was that.
6: How,
3: how many steps are there normally?
8: many (laughs) yeah I mean like so with Lashana Lynch's character so right at the beginning of the process we didn't really we sort of knew that she was going to be an MI6 agent but we weren't sure what her journey really was going to be because the script did change quite a lot and so in the beginning we met lots of people lots of people sent in self tapes and even into the hundreds I would say yeah there were hundreds, so we kind of filtered through all the tapes and um, obviously listened to who kind of Carrie and Barbara are really particularly interested in in chasing and and narrowed it down in the end to th- just three actresses. But I mean that took a long time. I mean it was quite it was quite a few months that we were mm. doing the search. And um, those three actresses tested with uh, Daniel Craig and. Um, and then they had
7: Perry. a very rigorous stunt assessment. Yes, as well.
8: yeah. And um, with Olivier and kind of put them through their paces to see what they were capable of because it's such a, when you see the film, such a physical part.
3: So if they're reading another from another script or acting from another script at the audition,
12: mm. you're
3: not seeing them in the role you're hoping to cast them in. Mm. So you're then going to have to you know, use your imagination to imagine them in, in that final role, aren't you? You can
7: sniff out talent. Whatever, whether they were reading from the telephone directory, mm. quite honestly, I mean that's a bit of an exaggeration. But if somebody can bring life to the words on the page, um, you know, some people just don't, and other mm. people do. And also, it makes an enormous difference seeing people on camera because they can look different. And
3: what's the reason for not telling them what role well, because they're auditioning
7: for? You don't want to give the story away. Mm. So it's secrecy. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, it is. I mean, it's these films of all films are we have to keep the plot so under wraps. And also I think, you know, if people have a vague idea what it's about what's the excitement of going to see the film? Mm. <laughs> because everybody all obviously has a kind of preset idea of what the James Bond film is going to be, but you always want to surprise them.
3: Let's hear from Lashana Lynch, who plays new 00 O agent Nomi. I've known you a while, and, mm-hmm. and British indie movies. Yes. Did you think? Were you aiming in your head to get onto big movies, to you know, big franchises, or was it not even in your in your brain at that point?
12: No, it definitely was. Four years ago, aimed for Marvel. I said, I want to be a superhero, and uh, sat down my team, and I said. This is what I want. Can we make it happen? You
3: didn't say that. I literally did. You actually said that. It was yeah. that planned.
12: Yeah. I come from that kind of background where like, just put the thing out there and make it happen. Throw it out, there, boomerang back. Um, and if you don't, then nothing's going to happen because you didn't ask for it. I tried to get what I asked for within, um, within realistic capacity, you know, and well, I
3: thought... What that- do you have to do, though? What's the first move? Is it to get an agent in LA or what's what? how do you move up from from one level to the next?
12: Uh, well, yeah, you definitely did a good, strong team. And that's what that conversation was birthed from. It started with a good team and then it started with um, also me just working on myself and knowing what I deserve as a woman and as a black woman, as, as an actor in this industry, I know what I'm capable of and I know what I could bring to uh, productions and then at that time franchises. So I just needed to make room myself for myself. And that's what I did.
3: M's chief of staff, Bill Tanner, also returns in No Time to Die, expertly played as before by Rory Kinnear. Obviously, you know one of the uh, character from Fleming that they
11: were keen to uh, bring into the uh, the original films, and as the chief of staff, you know is a um, has a senior role. I think probably my role as Bill Tanner has changed a little bit throughout the four films that I've done. Um, I think he was probably slightly more like M's. Um, underling uh, to start with, and then uh, seems to have risen up through the ranks a bit, and he's probably where Fleming sort of uh, originally intended him now. Um, And uh, he's sort of, I guess, a, um, a bullock between M and Bond, and I guess... Uh, to begin with, I know that my sort of character was slightly resistant to Bond's charms, but I think over the course of the last decade, he's—they um, seem to have become quite close. Actually,
3: no one's entirely resistant to Bond's charms. Uh,
11: he said he was sort of the direct opposite of Bond. Really, he likes to do things by the book and makes sure that the uh, the playbook is being adhered to. Um, and someone who uh, seemed to find great success um, and universal love by ripping up the rule rulebook seem to be anathema to uh, his whole way of living. But uh, I think they've sort of grown fond of each other now.
3: You know, Judy very well. How was it moving on and having Rafe as your new M, your new boss?
11: Uh, yeah, I still haven't uh, got over it. Um, and he <laughs> You knows, call, you he call he him knows Judy. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: exactly. And as for new characters in this film, well, you'll just have to watch it to see if they're good or bad, allies or villains, such as Billy Magnuson as Ash and Arna de Armas as Paloma. So tell me about introducing Logan Ash to the world of James Bond for the first time.
4: He's like a straight-laced guy, like a little college preppy guy mixed with a good old Mormon like just proper, clean cut, sober, all that kind of stuff. Creating the character, working with Kerry Fukunaga, like the guy just is a genius, he really is. Um, He creates a world and characters that live inside of it that uh, just are uncomparable to anyone else. Um, So when you make the playground so easily to play on, the character kind of follows. Kerry had a very clear idea of what he wanted, how he wanted to be seen, like, pressed shirts, clean, sweating in Jamaica, like, why would you be wearing this in this kind of area? But he's just so, you know,
3: this is just how Logan Ash is. So tell me about the stunts then and, and preparing for the role.
4: The stunt team for... Uh, This French stunt team they brought in for uh, for, uh, Bonds, they were unbelievable. My first day of actually working on this show, I flew from Budapest to London and right away jumped into boxing with this uh, coach, Patrick. And from then on, it was seven months of just training and training and training and this beautiful choreography to create... uh, action scenes, you know, it was it was so exciting.
3: So how did you get involved with No Time to Die?
4: I have a history with Kerry Fukunaga. I worked on uh, a Netflix program with him called Maniac, where he directed the entire series, and we built a relationship up through that. Um... And then, kind of fostering that 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 relationship, you know, an opportunity came up in Bond, and he reached out to me, and he kind of discussed with me the character and what would need to be going into it, and how the story would play out. And he was like, "Would you be interested in doing it?" And my <laughs> unwittingly answer was, "Yeah, of course, man. It's Bond."
5: Paloma is a is a CIA agent. Uh, she's Cuban and. She meets Bond there to help him help him navigate through the city and help him, you know, keep him alive and trying to accomplish that mission. I think she's going to be a big surprise. I don't think people are expecting, uh a character like this, like her. Uh, she's out of the box of what, I don't know, the perception of other Bond girls in, in the past. And she has this kind of um, very sparkly and sassy sense of humour and she's real and she's very relatable and I think people's gonna she's really funny people's gonna like her
3: In the trailer we see you in a beautiful long navy blue silk dress just classic Bond glamour Can you tell me any more about those costumes?
5: It is just one dress but it's not it wasn't as easy to choose and to find as people might think we... Uh Sutra, our, cost, our costume designer, Carrie and I went through this phase of trying to find the right outfit for Paloma that would represent her in a way that we wanted her to be. Um, but also at the same time, that was functional for all the action I had to do. So we went trying on and on and on, like endless days and dresses. And we wanted to, you know, to be comfortable and and practical but at the end of the day we came up to this you know navy gorgeous dress that that was good for the action and it was also like it would stay in the you know this glamour and beautiful aesthetics of of the Bond movie. so at the end of the day I think uh, it was Carrie's choice, but we all agree that even though I was freezing cold, <laughs> um, it was the right choice, and I think we 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 got it right.
3: Coming up in the next episode, Bond around the world. We'll be diving into the iconic locations of James Bond, finding out how locations manager Charlie Hayes discovers those perfect backdrops. Creativity comes first. You start um, with the action of, of the script, um, you start with the context, um, but after that, nothing is impossible. And we'll find out why this film returns to its roots with producer Barbara Broccoli.
7: Well, Jamaica is incredibly important to the Bond series because it was where Ian Fleming wrote all of the novels. It just felt right for the 25th and it's James Bond's spiritual home.
3: This is a Something Else production. Follow now to make sure you don't miss an episode.